You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Good evening once more. I can't remember if I said my name at the beginning. My name is Tim, and I uh, serve as pastor at Evanston Bible Fellowship. So I uh, was holding our newborn and was trying to get up here in time. So apologize for the slight delay there. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, whose word silences the shouts of the mighty, quiet within us every voice but your own. Speak to us through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's good. I love it. You know, this, this psalm has been called the Psalm of the Cross. It's also been referred to as the fifth gospel. Of the 13 quotations in the Old Testament that are found among the Passion narrative in the Gospels, nine of them are from the Psalms, and of those nine, five are from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross. The painting that you see here on the screen is also in the service guide on, uh, on the EBF uh, Church Center app, so if you want to look at it in more detail. But this painting is called what our Lord saw from the cross by the French painter James Tissot, done in watercolor in 1890. And it's unusual for the way that it portrays the crucifixion from the perspective of Jesus. Rather than featuring him at the center of the work, he is nearly not shown at all, except for, if you can see them, his feet at the very bottom of this magnificent work. We see the motley crew that has gathered around him. At his feet is a woman, presumably Mary Magdalene, and behind her, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and two other women accompanied by John. Some Roman soldiers look on with the centurion who seems to be pondering the meaning of it all. The religious leaders hurl their insults and seem quite satisfied with what is happening, and yet one of them looks toward the sky, perhaps at the darkness that is rolling in. The pots in the foreground may contain the vinegar that some joker offered Christ instead of water down in the right-hand corner. And in the background is a tomb, a tomb that is ready to receive his body. Psalm 22, more than any other text, gives us a window into the inner life and struggle of Jesus as he hung on the cross. And so for us, this Good Friday, that's what I would like for us to do, is to take up the crucifixion from the vantage point of Christ. Let us remember the anguish of his suffering and the struggle of his soul as he took on the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you haven't already, please turn to Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross. This psalm that is 
situated in the life of David, who most likely wrote it when he was on the run from the tyrant king, Saul. It is a lament psalm that is especially, it drips with anguish. You'll see as we read through this. David cries out to God and is about the brokenness, about the pain that he is experiencing, nearly to the point of death. And he pleads with God because of the innocent suffering he is experiencing. In the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, we come to realize how Psalm 22 is woven into the story of Christ's death. And so while this psalm was deeply meaningful to David and addressed the real suffering that he experienced, we're going to look at it tonight primarily through the lens of Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22 gives us three facets of his suffering and death, but it also gives us three glimmers of hope along the way. And so, kids, I'm going to need your help. Each point, I'm going to say, I need us to repeat this together. And the first one, the first facet is that he was forsaken. Can we say that together? He was forsaken. Verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. These words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A thousand years later, Jesus would cry out these words from the cross, as we see in Matthew 27. And to the pious Jew who would have heard these words, they would have recalled all of Psalm 22. It will cause them to recall the truths found in this psalm. It is a question that drips with anguish and reveals the utter abandonment that he felt. Yet even in his deepest distress, Jesus did not succumb to despair. He still called God my alone with the sins of the world upon him. He was forsaken. And yet at this point, the first glimmer of hope appears. Look at verses 3 to 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David recognized, despite his circumstances, that God still sits on the throne. He recalled how Israel, the people of God, put their trust in the Lord and were dramatically delivered from slavery in Egypt. They also looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one who would rescue, provide the rescue of God. And even in the midst of his agony and pain, Jesus recognized that God is on the throne and that God remains instead of Jesus suffering and death. It was, he was rejected. Kids, can you say that with me? He was rejected. That's good. Is that my son back there? Oh, yeah. I'll pay you later. That was awesome. (laughs) Just kidding. You know, these these verses, along with what we heard in in the call to worship, Isaiah 53, reveal also the mockery that Jesus faced. At the beginning of the week, the disciples welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with shouts of, Hosanna! as we saw from Psalm 118, Hosanna. But just a few days later, the crowds were shouting, crucify him. 
Matthew's gospel again picks up the words of Psalm 22 in the ways it depicts the insults hurled at Jesus by saying in Matthew 27, verse 39, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, he trusts in God, let God rescue him. If he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. He was rejected. Well, then in what follows is the next glimmer of hope. In verses 9 through 11, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Not only has God been faithful to his people, he has proven himself faithful time and time again. And for Christ, God has proven himself faithful for all eternity. In light of this, we have this prayer, this this cry, do not be far from me because trouble is near. And so the third facet of Jesus' suffering and death is that in verses 12 to 18 is that he was torn. Can you say that with me? He was torn. Look at verses 12 through 18. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. In these verses, those who are bent on evil are depicted as bulls, lions, and dogs, surrounding and tearing into their their prey ferociously. And if you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, he was surrounded at so many different times. He was surrounded by a a mob that accompanied the betrayer. The crowds that shouted, crucify him. The soldiers that beat him and flogged him incessantly. The thieves on either side of him as he hung on the cross. And yes, even the bystanders that gathered to turn this into a spectator sport. Then verses 14 to 17 depict the horror of the crucifixion from drenched in sweat to arms ripping from their sockets, a heart slowly winding down, intense thirst, pierced hands and feet, and shameful nakedness. And to top it all off, as Matthew's gospel again reminds us, the soldiers around the cross cast lots for Christ's garments, just as verse 18 says. Matthew 27, 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. He was torn. It is at this moment that the last glimmer of hope appears in verses 19 through 21. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I don't know if you caught this along the way, but the order of those enemies that surround is reversed in these verses. 
what begins as the threat from bulls, lions, and dogs becomes rescue from dogs, lions, and oxen. I think the image of a lion is even more vivid having passed through lions, you know, to, to come into this space, right? But did you notice that, that, that reversal that takes place? There's almost a downward and then an upward movement, perhaps a sign of things to come. And Jesus continued to rely upon God's strength until he uttered those final words, it is finished, and gave up his spirit. As verse 15 says, Jesus lay in the dust of death. Dear church, here's the bottom line for us this evening. Simply this, that Jesus was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He was was rejected so that you could be accepted. And he was torn so that you could be made whole. He was forsaken. He was rejected. And he was torn for you. Jesus was forsaken that so that you could be forgiven. The only one God has ever forsaken was his son when he took on the sins of the world. No one else ever had to experience this, and no one else will ever have to again. God was with Jesus when he was arrested. He was with Jesus when he was beaten, and he was with Jesus when he was nailed to the cross. But in the final hours, God made him an offering for sin. This is one of the greatest mysteries in the Christian faith. He was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He was rejected so that you could be accepted. He was rejected by his own people. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was mocked by those nearby who had the audacity to turn his death into a spectator sport. Through his suffering and death, God made a way for us to be accepted into his his very presence. God made a way for us to be radically reunited with him. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. And last, Jesus was torn so that you could be made whole. He was torn by the enemies who surrounded him, by the beating and flogging at the hands of the soldiers. He was torn by the crown of thorns that was driven into his head. He was torn by the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. And through his suffering and death, God made a way for our broken lives to be put back together again. As we often sing together, in his kingdom, broken lives are made new. He was torn so that you and I could be made whole. You know, perhaps you're here tonight sensing God tapping you on the shoulder, or maybe it's your son or daughter that's tapping you on the shoulder. Perhaps these are old familiar truths, or maybe these are truths that you're grappling with for the very first time. Friends, Jesus was forsaken, rejected, and torn for you. For you. It is nearly incomprehensible to think of Jesus taking on the sins of the whole world, and yet we can begin to wrap our minds around our sin. Our sin. Our failings. The ways that we have wronged or injured his name. The ways that we have fallen short time and time again. As we just sang, it was my sin 
that held him there until it was accomplished. Church, Jesus died so that we might live. Do not let this moment pass by. And may this be the night that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior and Lord. Perhaps this even has stirred up significant questions in your mind. These are truths that you want to explore in more detail, to chase down together. In the context of community, we would be honored to walk with you. Please, take a moment at some point tonight to come to me, Jeremiah, who you saw up here, anyone involved in this service. We'd love to go through something as simple as one of the Gospels, perhaps the Gospel of Mark, to explore who Jesus is, what he has done and how we are called to respond. He was forsaken. He was rejected. He was torn for you. As in so many of the lament psalms, there is an upturn at the end. You know, we just had the Winter Olympics not too long ago, and in picture the ski jump. Lament psalms have a way of doing that. It seems like they sink down, 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 and then there's a launch at the end, Right? as the psalmist declares his trust and his commitment, a statement like, yet I will still praise you, my Savior and my God. And that's what happens here in Psalm 22, the upturn. In the in-between, you know, we might run the risk of this Good Friday of turning too quickly to the end of the story. But in the in-between, let these words in Psalm 22, verses 22 through 31, wash over you. In fact, if you are... If you're up for this sort of thing, I invite you to just close your eyes. Close your eyes as these words are read. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Church, would you say those words with me? He has done it. Let's say that one more time. He has done it. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, give us a new vision of life through the cross. Lord, enlighten our understanding, inflame our our affections, and enable us to walk the way of the cross. May the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit surround us as we seek to discern this wondrous love. 
the love that drove you to the cross, Lord Jesus. What wondrous love is this? We pray this in Jesus' precious, matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.